0: Welcome to the Inside Carolina
1: Podcast, presented by Jersey Mike's Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com order now.
2: You are listening to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm John Siegley, joined today by Don Callahan and Buck Sanders talking UNC football recruiting. So, Don, going to start with you on this one, man, after the whirlwind signing day and then thursday as well have you finally been able to get caught up on sleep are you operating on nothing but coffee and five hour energies at this point well before i get to that i gotta say how much i
0: appreciate that buck has joined us blessed us with his presence on this podcast i always enjoy being on the podcast with buck but since he now only does a podcast with me once or twice a year it makes it even more um special you know, very, very
1: rare, rare to me. Um, so uh, I, don't, I this, don't get invited anymore. I don't know what that's about. I mean, no, I, nobody hey, ever says, "Buck, come on the show." I you're mean, the big guy. You're you can
0: you can make it happen. You could be on
1: every. I, one I don't of like to. I don't like to use my sharp elbows. You know, just for any purpose. <laughs> yeah. You know?
0: But to uh, answer your original question, yeah, I mean, I'm all caught up. I mean, I just needed a little bit of sleep yesterday. I took a good little nap yesterday, um, and because uh, Wednesday was kind of crazy. But and and the, the weeks leading up to Sunday were kind of crazy. But I'm all good, energized, and ready to kind of focus on the home stretch and also the uh, the 2020 class, which really is going to
2: start to get a whole lot more attention during the month of January. Yeah, you've already seen some some stuff kind of leaking out that Mac Brown and his staff are really trying to target those elite 2020 kids and putting the priority on them. Now, Buck, you know, signing day, I think the the biggest news by far was the Sam Howell flip from Florida State to Carolina and the UNC football coaches put that video out on social media. Looked like they were watching the inside Carolina feed. Tommy mentioned that in uh in his podcast, and I checked the video. It certainly looks like that, so you know talk with us about just the inside Carolina coverage on signing day, and you know just you know did did it give you a a pretty solid measure of pride there to know that that the coaches were probably watching something that you know i see was was putting out there for people.
1: Well, I don't know uh, how much I was proud of the fact the coaches were watching the the video. And and to be fair, even though it looked identical to our feed, there might have been other feeds out there that were watching. So we're not going to claim credit for that. But it, it did look suspiciously like our feed. But <laughs> what I was really proud of is Don Callahan. He did a tremendous job, uh, you know, getting that, you know, he had we had our – uh video guy john Bauman go down with him to charlotte they got that all set up don had to s- suffer through about 15 minutes of some boring guy talking before <laughs> they they got around to the howell commitment but uh as as always and he's just gotten better at it every year uh, we've added features to it every year um don just does a tremendous job for us and uh i don't want to cram too much sugar down his throat. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can't get better football recruiting coverage anywhere than you can inside Carolina. If you're not a premium member on inside Carolina, uh, what Don does on football recruiting, uh, is worth the price of admission on its own. So, um, now that I've made that pitch and, and, uh, bragged on Don a little bit, uh, I think we can move on to talking about the class and, you know, although we, though, though we can talk about the class, I'm more interested in hearing what might be next for February. But uh, with that yeah. said, let's let's move on. All right, that works, and we
2: definitely will will turn our eye a little bit forward to, to February because there's still some intriguing names left on the board, especially in state, in particular, one four star player in the secondary. So we'll get to that here in a little bit. But since we we brought up Howell, he was obviously the 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 headliner. Don it goes without saying that the the landing of Howell was huge for the class. So I don't want to, want to really focus on that so much. Instead, talk about his profile as a player. When we talk, when when we did our podcast of uh, just prior to signing day, you mentioned how you had seen him at the Shrine Bowl, and you had some very glowing praise for just how the ball comes out of his hand. So what do you think are the attributes in Howell? that have led him to being ranked as high as he is. And also, let's talk about how he might compare to the quarterbacks already on campus. And Buck, we'll, we'll swing it back over to you after Don gets done, because that's where I think I want to get both of y'all's thoughts on that subject.
0: Well, uh, I mean, the main thing with Hal is he has that it factor that everybody talks about. And it's just so hard to kind of define unless you've been around him. I mean, he he's not a um, very in-your-face, making a lot of noise. Um, you wouldn't notice him um, so much because he's not much of a talker, soft-spoken, quiet guy, uh, but he just exudes this presence, this leadership. And you, you have to kind of be around him and, and be around him and see him interact with uh, some of the other players to kind of see it. And just what, when he's talking to to a, uh, a teammate, just how that teammate just sort of responds to it. And then on top of that, as that... Boring guy, quote unquote. Buck called him uh, was his head coach. He actually, if you listen to his speech, which is very, very, very long, and and you know you get tired pretty quickly. But in that speech are a bunch of stories that I've heard a bunch of times from not only his head coach but a lot of his coaches, his assistant coaches, and also coaches that played against him. Stories about how you know he rolled his ankle and they thought he was done for the game, and the next quarter he comes running out in the field. You know, there's a story I think where. His helmet was taken away, and somehow he found out how to get it back, and was running back on the field. You know, off after an in injury. I mean, he's a guy that's going to grind it out. He's going to put his body on the line. Uh, you mentioned his um, arm strength; it, it's it's off the charts. It's one of those things you can't appreciate unless you see it in person because the velocity is just unbelievable and you know i meant made this mention on a prior podcast it literally when you're when you're there and, and seeing him throw the ball even in warm-ups the ball li- literally hisses like a like a baseball you know when someone's just 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 throwing the, the crap out of a baseball i mean that's that's how and he has a baseball background i mean he's um i believe he's played um all three years of high school i'm assuming he'll play well he actually he won't play he won't be playing this spring because he'll be at north carolina but uh Uh, baseball was something that that was definitely a passion for him um so he he does have that background but really the two things for me is just his it factor and just his arm strength are just unbelievable i mean he's a player that will
2: definitely make plays um, when there's nothing there all right so then buck how do you think Howell's going to fit into Longo's air raid offense? Because you've done a lot of research into Longo, specifically how he uses quarterbacks and players in general. So hearing Don's description, you know, how do you think Howell will fit in compared to the two quarterbacks that are definitely going to be, well, as far as you know, right now, on campus for next year, Jace Ruder
1: and Cade Fortin? For Howell specifically, I would say that, um, Longo had a quarterback, um, uh, at Ole Miss for a year, uh, that had the same, uh, similar arm strength, velocity, Shea Patterson, um, and uh, Patterson could really sling the ball. The problem with Patterson, and I'll be interested to see how this plays out for Howell is that, uh, Patterson was one of those guys that, you know, took the attitude that, uh, I'm going to throw the ball. It's up to you to catch it. So, you know, he threw everything at like, you know, light speed. And it, for people that have watched quarterback position over the years, that's not always the way to, uh, throw the football. You know, there's touch passes involved. There's, uh, improvisation to be, you know, uh, considered. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how Howell plays out in that aspect of it in terms of knowing how to throw that touch pass. You heard maybe Mac Brown talking about, uh, how, you know, the quarterbacks to, uh, that Howell was compared to, and he mentioned Baker Mayfield and he mentioned, uh, Brett Favre. And, uh, Brett Favre was one of those guys that, uh, you know, the, um, Green Bay receivers would walk around with, you know, braces on their wrists and complaining about how bad their hands hurt because everything that came out of Forrest's hand, you know, hands came out at like 110 miles an hour. So that's something to watch and to be interested in. Uh, as far as the other quarterbacks on the roster, I think both of them have a fairly good velocity on on the football. And and that one aspect comes into play as far as quarterbacking, but it's not the – to be a great quarterback, you've got to have that, but having that alone doesn't make you a great quarterback. So I think it'll be an interesting competition this spring uh, to see those three guys. I think Reuter maybe brings a little bit different, something different to the, to the offense in terms of his ability to run the ball. And one other thing I would say is that um, – At Ole Miss, uh, Longo used a couple of quarterbacks. Now, Patterson had some injury situations, but there were other games where he would uh, insert his uh, backup quarterback who was more of a runner than Patterson on occasion. So I don't think it's out of the question for uh, to see more than one quarterback get series during games, depending on the situation. Another interesting facet to to look look for this spring and see how that plays out this fall. And I think, I qu- it – yeah, go ahead, Don.
0: I have a question for Buck. You knowing the quarterbacks as, be- as best or as as really anyone, um, what do you think uh, Hal's chances are of seeing the field significant playing time this uh, this coming season?
1: Well, uh, the as many people have pointed out, you know, Hal's coming in January. Um, and from that aspect of it, with a new offensive coordinator and a new offensive system, there are some similarities. We're not talking about the difference between running, you know, say uh, Bush Davis's offense, you know, in uh, during his time frame at UNC, and uh, Larry Fedora's offense. The differences between Fedora's offense to Longo's offense is not as great as that leap. But still, it's a new offense uh, with some new concepts. And so to an extent, uh, Howell and Reuter and Fortin will all be starting out in the same spot to a degree Um, because Reuter and Fortin uh, specifically have familiarity with the personnel that was there last year. They have worked with them. Uh, on, in practice. They've worked with them probably in volunteer, uh, OTA kind of stuff. Uh, so Ruder and Fortin have greater familiarity with the other players on the roster and have probably developed relationships with them. You saw that come into play with, with Nathan Elliott. Um, when he came in in 2017, uh, the fact that he had built relationships with the other players on the team played a role, I think, in in the the limited success or the success, however you want to characterize, he had uh, in 2017. So uh, that's not an insignificant factor. And uh, they also have familiarity in Fedora's offense of going fast. That's something that Longo likes to do. He likes to use tempo a lot. Um, So they've got familiarity with that. I don't know what kind of offense specifically Howell played in. I don't know if it's a hurry-up, no huddle. What they did there, so much, but uh, so uh, Fortin and Reuter already have that, uh, you know, aspect of the offense, and and the way they practice. Uh, the way they practice is they're going to practice a few things, and they're going to practice those few things a lot. Uh, that's how Longo does things. That's how Fedora did things. So I think their ability to adapt. Uh, to what Longo's doing might be a little ahead of Howells. And you know, as far as what I've seen from Fortin and, and Reuter, you know, that I think they both of them have the arm to make virtually any throw that you want to make. Uh, the, the problem with Elliott was and is that there are some throws that he just wasn't capable of making. Um, and I don't, I don't know that that's the, that's true of any of the quarterbacks that's on UNC's roster. I think he's got a chance, and I think, as, you know, as always, it's going to the most important measurement is going to be the six inches between his ears and, and how that plays out uh, in comparison to Reuter and, and Fortin. And, you know, with the redshirt rule, uh, if they want to play him for four games, they could still play the other two, and, and he wouldn't lose a redshirt year. I don't know that he's necessarily a a five-year guy anyway but if if it turned out that way then at least they would have that option to give him some uh playing time you know against uh you know a lesser opponent here or there wherever they meet one.
2: But just real quick Don, what sti- uh, style of offense did Howell play in? You know, was it kind of that the hurry up um tempo based or was it more of an under center or was it just a little bit of everything really it was very similar to fedora's offense and and they based it off of a lot of
0: those concepts um his dad's the offensive coordinator and um but they they you know he he developed this offense and they actually developed it for sam while sam was in middle school um and that's why he was able. well one of the reasons why he was able to be a four-year starter at sun valley high school but uh his dad definitely based it off of um
2: you know the the offense that Fedor brought to North Carolina all right interesting and then you know we'll see then how he does translate over to the air raid style and i think buck made made the point and you know i've seen it a couple places now that really all three guys are going to be entering that that spring camp more or less kind of on the same level and it's very good to have that competition so uh, that's definitely one to keep an eye on now let's go ahead and talk about the skill position guys and we'll just lump the running back wide receivers and tight ends all into kind of one large group there because UNC did only sign one tight end Uh, Morales out of Florida and then one running back Henderson out of New Jersey so Don when you when you're looking at the skill positions running back wide receiver tight end who are some of the guys that that you really think UNC either got a A a-plus player or maybe got someone that's flying under the radar a little bit you talked about Justin Olson before if you want to talk about him again that's fine but just in general, you know, who who are the guys that you really, really like out of that skill position group? Well, I
0: definitely do like Justin
2: Olsen uh, for the reasons I've mentioned multiple times on
0: the podcast. You know, uh, he's a guy who could do everything very similar to um, Anthony Ratliff-Williams in, in the skill set. Uh, maybe not as fast as him, um, but yeah, he's a guy that can do just about everything, can play every wide receiver position you need. But uh, I won't talk about him too much because apparently John doesn't want to hear about him anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kamari Morales is the guy I really like and, and it's it's more about we talked about the id factor with Sam Howe um, Kamari has that at you know, at the tight end position I think he's a guy that will be just a Swiss army knife sort of weapon where his, his position will be tight end but they'll be able to use him in a lot of different ways if you know we've talked about him a bunch also we've actually had him on the podcast where his competitive nature definitely shines through you know, just in an interview that we had with him. But um you know, if you watch his film, if you watch really an entire game of his, which I know no one listening to this is going to do, but um you're gonna see him line up at a bunch of different positions. He'll he'll line up as a true tight end attached, he'll line up as, you know, detach in the slot, outside, in the backfield, he'll take uh snaps as a wild as a wildcat quarterback, he'll be at fullback and he'll he'll take uh, the handoff there. Um, particularly in short yardage situations he's a great route runner has a really good set of hands he's listed at at well on our site he's listed at six three two thirty two um i think he's probably much closer to six one i think he is six one so he's gonna be a little bit undersized i think he's a guy that if he was um or if he were a few inches taller he would have been more highly recruited but i think really you know give it a year or two and he's gonna be a an unbelievable weapon for North Carolina not a guy that's going to just, you know, blow up the 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 box score but um or um the box sheet but um he's a guy that's going to just be contributing in a lot of different ways for North Carolina. Uh, I I want Bucks opinion, you know, are any of these guys that you in particular of the skill guys are you excited about?
1: <clears throat> Before I mention any of that, I would say that uh getting back to Phil Longo's offense. He, unlike many air raid coaches, there are some air raid coaches like Mike Leach that don't even bother with tight ends. I don't even know if they have one on their roster. And Texas Tech is is pretty similar in that regard. They, they don't put a lot of emphasis on uh, tight ends. They don't use them very often. Um, so that's different than the approach that Longo uses. And, uh, you know, I think, Your comments about uh, Kamari, uh, Morales are are, are good ones. But as far as being excited about the offense, Longo's offense, they they do use their tight ends in some pretty unique ways. Uh, Not necessarily unique, but they are consistent uh, with using them in uh, a particular formation that's, that's pretty common in his offense. The tight end will line up. Uh, say, two or three yards uh, behind uh, one of the tackles, and they'll flip them uh, to one side of the line or the other. They don't put them in motion quite as much, but they use their tight ends as uh, lead blockers a great deal in that offense. And you know, given the fact that they have uh, Carl Tucker and Jake Vargas on the roster, as senior, fifth-year seniors, uh, that's going to be exciting to watch this year uh, in terms of how they use those guys. And both of them are pretty devastating blockers. That'll be fun to watch how um, Longo uses those guys. Uh, as far as the other uh, skill players, um, uh, apparently Don is has got a little crush, man crush, on Justin Olsen. Um, I- I'll be interested to see how that plays out. He's got a lot of competition on that roster as far as um, wide receiver Guys that are already on the roster, I, I'm interested in uh both the. Uh, we haven't even talked about. Um, and Don, you're going to have to check my pronunciation on this, which I usually butcher. Chaffrey. Uh, there you go. All right. Well, you know, I'm going to say whether it's true or not that that's exactly how I was going to pronounce it. But
0: I believe uh, you, Buck.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, but you know, he and Emery. Are interesting, you know, additions to this class. Uh, definitely glad to have them both. I- I'm really interested, though, in in Emory Simmons, uh, <clears throat> mainly because he was just all over the map in his recruitment. You know, that uh, Indiana, then UNC, and then Penn State, and then back to UNC. And I'm certainly glad North Carolina's got him. And I'm interested to see what he will add to the to the mix um uh, at wide receiver. Coffrey, uh, if he's anything like his brother, he seems to be not quite as long, Don. Is that would you say that?
0: Correct. Yeah. Uh,
1: um, but uh maybe uh just as much or maybe a little better of a speedster. Um and that's something that you could definitely use in an air raid offense. So the those are two two guys I'll be uh, keeping an eye out for, um, but North Carolina has, as everybody knows, a fairly stocked offensive room. Um, you know, with the wide receivers and especially the running backs and the tight ends. Uh, I think a lot of these guys are going to have a much greater impact down the road than immediately next year. And and neither Brown or Simmons. Simmons is not coming in January. Is he, Don?
0: He is. Simmons is. He
1: is. He is. But Brown is not. Correct. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out this spring and what they, what, uh, you know, Emory brings to the table. We'll get a look at that, uh, more of a take on that. And then there's uh, Weldon Spotsville again. You know, they they. One thing about the air raid offense, they like to have plenty of receivers, not just for depth purposes, but they kind of see the ones and the twos as the same group. I mean, they mm-hmm. they play a lot of players because their goal is to run a lot of plays. Um, if if Longo could do it and get away with it, he'd run a hundred plays a game, and in in that situation, it pays to have a lot of uh, bodies at wide receiver because. You're running those guys in and out a lot. Uh, So that kind of uh, makes me alter my opinion a little bit about how soon they may contribute in this offense. Because it's true, Longo does like to use a lot of different wide receivers uh, within a game. um, And much less over the course of a year. All right, Don, before we
2: get your response to that, because I definitely wanted, wanted to, to get that from you, man, let's take a quick commercial break. And when we get right back, we will continue talking our discussion on UNC's 2019 recruiting class and all the guys that signed last Wednesday for the early signing day period. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Sealy here with Don Callahan and Buck Sanders, still talking about the Guys at UNC had signed on Wednesday for the early signing day period. So, Don, what what are your thoughts on kind of what, what Buck had said there about the offense and, and the players? Um, just anything that, that kind of popped into your mind during Buck's talk there?
0: Yeah, I just wanted to add one thing. He mentioned about Emery Simmons kind of jumping around in his recruitment. He was committed to Indiana, then committed to North Carolina, then switched to Penn State and fits, fits back to North Carolina. And, and then um, there was a... I guess I, I guess you can call it a study uh, that I believe it was rivals, which I know is our competition. So I I shouldn't be really bringing it up, but it was interesting. They did, they went back and looked at all of the recruits who made made flips or multiple flips and, and just, I guess, tracked how well they, their careers went in college. And it was amazing by that, how much those sort of guys did not succeed, particularly guys who made more than one, flip um and it's just something i mean obviously it's not like a foolproof um study and it's you know something that's i'm sure the sample size is very small i couldn't find it when i was trying to google the actual study for people to kind of look at themselves Uh, but um it's definitely something interesting kind of watch out for not only with emory simmons but tristan miller was committed to wake forest and then was committed to NC State and then ended up signing to North Carolina. I joked with him when I came by a school that he should have uh, somewhere in there committed to Duke. So he had the four in-state ACC schools uh, locked down at some point. But, uh,
2: but definitely something to kind of monitor for the next uh, four or five years. Well, look, Don, since you brought up Tristan Miller, let's go ahead and start talking about the offensive line guys. And you know, Tristan did highlight that class, the flip from, I guess, when, not really a flip. He decommitted from, from State earlier on this month, but did end up selecting the Tar Heels on Wednesday. What type of player is UNC getting in Tristan, and what position do you see him playing along the offensive line? Well, he's, for the reasons I mentioned, um, and not only just that, there's some other stuff.
0: There's, you know, there was, uh, I guess, uh, he either... there's There's, I guess, rumors that he either... Gave up football at one point, or strongly considered it but um and there's a couple other things too about maybe his dedication to football, so he to me is your your typical boom or bus guy because he has all the tools. you watch his film, his film is tremendous he great footwork, good length, um, good size kid, smart kid goes to uh, Charlotte Country Day, which is a very uh, challenging academic school um but uh, as far as you know, the the mental stuff, you you kind of question with with the rumors that kind of surround him, and then you you look at the fact that he's he's changed uh, his commitment or he's been committed to three schools at at, at some point or another. Uh, I think if he lives up to his potential, he could be an unbelievable left tackle for North Carolina. I really do. He just has all those tools. Uh, the other guys, um, awesome Richards. Not only does he have a great name, but he's another guy who who's a little bit of a project. He's probably more of a project than Tristan is uh, because he's only played one year of um, offensive line in high school uh, and he didn't play against the greatest of competition, but um, he's another guy that has all the tools, but, but he's going to require definitely a redshirt year and probably uh, more than that to, uh, to fully develop. Wyatt Tanal is a guy that that if you watch his film and you're around him, you just absolutely love him. You, and just talking to him, you just love him. He's a, he's a loyal kid. He's a no nonsense kid. Um, he just wants to um, to play football, duck hunt, and um, and love his family. And that's and that's really that's really it. But he's a, a very um, very mature for his age. Big kid, huge kid. Um, I, I I actually was there when um, at the Shrine Bowl uh, when uh, uh, Drew Little. Met uh, Wyatt for the first time, and Drew looked at me. and was like, "Man, this guy is massive." I mean, he is—you, know, he's listed at uh, 6'5", 270 pounds. But when you when you're around him, he feels bigger than that. I mean, he's just a just a huge kid. Um, any any of those guys really kind of grabbed your attention, Buck?
1: Well, the the one that, that sort of uh, jumped off the page at me, and all of them are three good-looking kids. But um, the the thing about uh, the distinguished. Uh, miller for me in the group and don you got a much greater look at him than i have is how well he moves his feet um and that's that's really critical for a left tackle and and i think there's a little bit of uh you know background information that uh miller and howell were pretty close and had talked about um their relationship in terms of you know miller would be the guy to protect uh, house blindside down the road but uh, you know for uh, as all the many attributes that a left tackle needs you know the long arms and all the other things that go into a, a really good left tackle maybe you know at the top of the list or near to it is his ability to move his feet and and Miller certainly has that and that For that reason, I see him as a uh, left tackle down the road at UNC and a, probably a pretty good one. Well,
2: Buck, let me ask you this real quick about incoming offensive line coach Brandon Jones. How do you think his schemes within the, the framework of Longo's A-rate offense are going to differ from kind of that the, the power run zone blocking that we saw from Chris Kapilovic while he was UNC's O-line coach?
1: Well, in a, again, we keep bringing this back to the, to the coaching tree and, and highlighting the differences there, but in a Mike Leach, uh, Cliff Kingsbury type of, uh, offense, which Jones coached in that he was the offensive line coach at Texas tech for Kings, Kingsbury. But, um, in, in that kind of scheme, the offensive line is unique. In the splits that they take, they they are disturbingly wide splits. Uh, you could just envision you know, a you know, just take a really quick small linebacker, and you could put him between those splits, and you would think he could just walk in and sack the quarterback. The way they compensate for that is uh, teaching the offensive lineman to take the right angle off the snap. And it's pretty effective. Air raid quarterbacks don't get sacked quite as often as you would think looking at those wide splits. And the purpose of the wide splits on the offensive line is that just from a sheer distance perspective, if, if you widen those splits on the offensive line, then the edge rusher guys on the outside have a much longer distance to travel to get to the quarterback and for that reason and because of the way they teach their offensive linemen to to take the right angle on those snaps um then the the goal is the the whole motivation behind those wide splits is that it gives the quarterback the opportunity to see the entire field they don't they don't want the quarterback whoever that is uh, to just look at one half of the field. They want him to be able to move his eyes from one side of the field to the other and have time to throw the ball, and and that's how they try to accomplish that task, by having wide splits on the offensive line. When they go to those wide splits, then those offensive linemen are on an island. They're you know one-on-one with defensive linemen in most cases across the board their job is to beat the guy in front of them there's there's very little pulling or double teaming or any of the inside zone outside zone stuff we saw with fedora when they're in those wide splits the trick is with longo that's not the only offensive alignment that they will use they will tighten those splits up on occasion they will pull the left guard they'll pull the left tackle or the right tackle. Uh, they'll do some power runs out of, uh, in, in his offense and similar to what Oklahoma does. And when you heard Mac Brown talking about it, that, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley, he came out of the air raid, uh, tree. Uh, he was at Texas tech, um, you know, also came out of that system. And so, and, and Brandon Jones coached with uh, Lincoln Riley at East Carolina. So he's very familiar with how Lincoln Riley approaches uh, diversifying the air raid offense to an extent. So, you know, the offensive linemen at UNC are going to have to learn a new wrinkle. And that's how to operate because Longo does use those wide splits on occasion. I mean, he's not married to them and doesn't use them 100% of the time. But there are going to be times when you see UNC line up on the field next year, and you're going to wonder what in the world you're looking at, because you could drive a golf cart between the offensive linemen and not hit either one of them. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. It's they are very diverse in what they do. Uh, you know, as Bateman would say, they're multiple, which tells you nothing. But they will, you know, both utilize those uh, very wide splits that Leach and Kingsbury are famous for, and they will tighten those splits up occasionally. Um, So it'll be very similar if you want to go and look at a uh, Oklahoma uh, game. Maybe North Carolina's not quite at that level in terms of talent. But, you know, Ole Miss did very similar stuff under Longo and and how they approached the offensive line. So it'll be a difference for UNC fans, uh, something to watch and, and something to get used to once he's on the scene.
2: And so Don after hearing that, you know, what are your thoughts on on how the three offensive linemen that UNC got in this class will fit in to that, you know, wide splits where being able to take that correct angle knowing what's going to happen pre-snap and then just having the athleticism to get there before the defender. How do you see these three guys fitting into what's going to be new demands placed on them?
0: I don't think it's going to be much of a problem because they're all they're all three of them um a very mobile offense alignment. And the thing is, is that they're going to have at least a redshirt year and probably more than that to, to adjust. It's uh, it's not like, uh, you know, some of the offense alignment on North Carolina's uh, roster right now have, have basically have learned to do it a different way the past, however many years. Um, not that I'm saying that they'll have any issue. I'm just saying that these, uh, these high school kids coming in, are starting fresh and they haven't developed or they have developed some habits, but not as much as a, as a
2: college guy. All right. So let's take another quick commercial break. When we get back, let's go ahead and switch over to the defense and start talking about those guys. So we'll be right back after this. And we are back with the inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here talking UNC football with Buck Sanders and Don Callahan. All right, guys. So we've wrapped up the offensive line. Let's talk about the defensive line. And UNC got its guys in that position kind of late in in the game. Christian Varner, Kevin Hester gave their verbal commitments just in the weeks or the week leading up to national signing day, and then they did land Tamari Fox early on Wednesday morning. Don was there any sort of surprise when Tamari Fox did decide to select Chapel Hill as his college destination, or do you think that this one? was kind of already done, but maybe was being very well kept under the wraps. I was surprised that he was the first one to send in his letter of
0: intent, especially because him and I had been in contact um, in the days up to leading up to signing day. And, you know, initially he wanted to basically decide on on Monday, but I guess he wasn't ready. Um, and, uh, you know, I, on late Tuesday, he finally told me he was going to wait until till Wednesday to make a decision. and. It was not a slam dunk. I mean, he loved North Carolina, um, and that's why he signed there. Um, he has a, a huge amount of comfort lit there because he's been there so often. His brother's there. Um, but there was definitely a force within inside him that did not want him to yet again be in his brother's shadow. And if you actually talk to him and talk to him about Taman while he you know, looks up to his brother, respects his brother, uh, loves his brother uh there's definitely a little bit of um i don't know i guess uh just does not want doesn't want to be in that shadow doesn't want to be compared to him doesn't want to get any sort of benefits because of him and so there was some you know he really considered georgia tech because of the fact that that would allow him to um to kind of blaze his own path um But, uh, so I wasn't, I don't want to say I was surprised because I knew it was kind of 50, 50. Um, I think a lot of people thought it was a slam dunk, but it wasn't. But when he, when his letter intent came in first, I was like, man, you know, I I was actually took a double take and and wanted to make sure that it was legit and and shot him a text message and said, Hey, did you just send your letter, letter intent? And he said he did. Um, so until I'd received that text from him, I wasn't sure if maybe it was some sort of typo or, or mistake. So, um, the
2: timing of it was a little bit of a surprise, but, um, the actual decision wasn't. And then as far as Hester and Varner <laughs> goes, I think the, the story with those two is potential, that they both have the, those long athletic frames, but they're going to take some time to really learn how to play the position at the college level and stack up against college competition. So, Don, what can UNC fans look forward to from Hester and Varner, in your opinion, after just watching their film in high school? Well, Hester is, is the potential guy, the long potential
0: guy. I mean, he, his background is basketball up until really less than a year ago. He never played any, any football at all, period. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's your, your typical high school guy turned, um, football player who usually ends up being some sort of defensive lineman because he has this, the size and the athleticism and college coaches love those sort of guys. Cause they can mold them. They don't have the bad habits established. Um, and all that, um you know, and Varner, I think if you watch Varner and um, Fox's film, they're very similar style of guys. Now, Fox is way more advanced as as a pass rusher um Fox's father uh, does an unbelievable job not only training both Taman and Tamari you know in the weight room and making sure that they are um you know eating correctly and and lifting correctly and everything like that but he also is, is a student of the game as far as a pass rusher. So if you actually watch Tamari's film pretty closely, and even Taman, um, they're very um, smart with pass rushes they choose to do and the counters and everything like that. Um, Tamari's way advanced than, than, than your average, or probably your above average uh, high school kid with his pass rush moves. Uh, Varner is more of a guy who's just – his. His first step is just unbelievable. he's so explosive um and so um even though he's a he's a good sized kid he has six four two forty but um he's able because he's so agile he's able to kind of make himself smaller to to penetrate gaps and everything like that um so I mean I think these guys really these guys alone are perfect for a three man front because I think Hester is gonna end up being a nose tackle even though I know he's, he's tall um but uh I just think his uh you know, his wingspan and and his potential for growth is be great nose tackle, and Fox and Varner will be great, whatever you want to call them. I've seen people call them ends or or, ta- or tackles, um in a, in a three man front, um you know playing that that five technique. Um, I think those guys you know will not only be able to consume blockers but also
2: will be able to provide a, a pass rush. So, Buck, let me ask you about Coach Mac Brown and his ability to kind of get the most out of guys that could be quote-unquote projects like Hester. And why do you think that Tar Heel fans have such levels of confidence that Mac and his staff are going to really be able to get the most out of these guys?
1: Well, one one criticism, right or wrong, justified or not, of the uh, recruiting approach under Larry Fedora is that, you know, they recruited players out of high school that they thought fit a specific position on the UNC defense. And Mac Brown, when he was now that I don't completely agree with that criticism because fairly often they would recruit uh, defensive ends and convert them to defensive tackles in some cases, I thought, too quickly. Uh, but in any event, uh, Mac Brown uh, certainly uh, was grew up at a time and an era when there was really a transition from uh, sort of the three clouds of dust, uh, power football, uh, huge... Offensive and defensive linemen on both sides of the ball that, you know, were just uh, motor graders, and to a uh, time and an era where, particularly on defense, uh, speed became the watchword. It was all about speed, how fast you could move. And so he kind of came along as a head coach in that era and, and put those uh, philosophies or approach, however you want to characterize it, into effect at UNC. And quite often you would see players go down a position. By that I mean a cornerback would become a safety, a safety would become a linebacker, a linebacker would become a defensive end, a defensive end would become a defensive tackle. Uh those kind and, and in some cases defensive linemen would become offensive linemen. So uh he quite often did that and with a lot of success. And he was also had a good eye for, uh, knowing who and when to change a person, change a player's position on the field from offense to defense. Uh, miles Dorn's father, for example, came to UNC as a running back, uh, Dorn. And uh, first couple of years, he was on the roster as a running back. And then at a certain point, they switched him to the defensive secondary He went on to have a multi-year career in the NFL as a defensive back, I think, at Buffalo or somewhere. Um, So Brown pays attention to and, and analyzes players not just based on where they are now, but how they might fit in down the road and often with an emphasis on speed. You know, this guy may be a you know, have adequate speed for a corner, but he'd have really good speed for a safety and this safety might have adequate speed for safety, but would be a really quick linebacker. He's always at least since his time at at UNC had a focus on speed in on the defense, not necessarily so much, you know, fitting a prototypical size, but Back is not going to be the only factor in how these players are, are utilized and and are plugged into the UNC defense down the road. Jay Bateman has his very well developed ideas about what he thinks about uh, on defense, and in fact, his system of defense, along with a few others, is classified and is beginning to gain a the the name of positionless football where players aren't necessarily their duties, their jobs and responsibilities in a defense don't necessarily come from their, uh, position on the field. You, everybody's going to rush. Everybody's going to cover. Everybody's going to, uh, you know, spill. Everybody's going to you know, do all the things that, uh, you know, defensive coaches ask players to do. So uh, it's going to be a new experience for me. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. It's going to be something that's like going to be a work in progress. We're going to see it develop on the field at UNC because this is the first time, probably the first time in a nation where you see someone with Bateman's uh, philosophies and strategies and schemes bring that to a power five program he's previously done it at army which i suppose in some cases is considered a, a power five program but obviously they don't recruit at the same level as unc so he's going to be bringing in a system that's built for uh that he built for army only he's going to be plugging in unc athletes in it so it is it's something that we don't know how to describe because we've never seen it before. We're going to watch this play out in front of our eyes. So a lot of what we might say now about these players and where they're going to fit in is much greater guesswork involved in that than there has been in the past when we're looking at certain players. So just something to keep in mind as we move forward in spring ball. And, you know, Don, Buck talked about the speed there. And
2: turning to the linebacker position – that was a criticism that you saw a lot from Carolina fans that UNC lacked speed at that linebacker spot. Guys, you know, couldn't really make a play because they couldn't. They'd take a bad angle and couldn't recover in time, or just weren't able to cover running backs or wide receivers or tight ends coming out into the flat. UNC, I think, addressed that pretty well in terms of getting someone who can fly over the football field with Kadri or Kadri Jackson out of florida now he was listed as a safety in the database but you included him with the linebacker spot so talk to us about why you think jackson will play linebacker and how do you think he'll do at that position for carolina and especially under new defensive coordinator bateman well um
0: the reason why i list him as a
2: linebacker is because that's what north carolina recruited him as
0: uh according to (laughs) cadre and uh and uh our sources uh they're close to north carolina but uh, to answer your question, and this kind of jives with what Buck was saying with the, um, the no position defense. I mean, I think Jackson is a guy that could be that because, I mean, while linebacker will probably be his home position, I mean, he's a guy that he's athletic enough, but yet strong and powerful enough to play really all over the field. And you could do so many different things with. I think we talked about in a prior podcast, just you know, how versatile this guy is and how you know, he can really be taken advantage of in the in the right system with the right defensive coordinator. I think Bateman is is a a guy that can, can
2: do that certainly. And then, do you think that that Carolina overall, Don? I mean, they're still in it for Octavius Brothers and Eugene Asante. Do you see <coughs> Mac Brown and his staff kind of recruiting a different type of player to that linebacker position? Because like like Buck said, you know, it was it was often said that maybe Coach Fedora and then they just recruited kind of a very narrowly limited type of player. Number one, I guess, touch on that. And then number two, do you see moving forward that, that the Terrell defensive coaches may be taking a different approach than the prior staff did under uh, Larry Fedora?
0: Yeah. I mean, that that's going to be the case regardless of what transition you're talking about, you know, um, and not just with the defensive coordinator or the head coach, but with the position coach. I mean, everyone, you know, they're going to have their fingerprints on their particular position. And I think, you know, now that Tommy Thigpen is coaching linebackers, you're going to see a very similar style of linebacker when Thigpen was, was at North Carolina the first time, you know, with, you know, Quan Sturdivant and Bruce Carter and and guys like that, and I think when I when I bring that up, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this got really happy. And I think Quadra Jackson fits that sort of mold as an athletic guy that is definitely not as polished of a linebacker as a lot of other guys that, on the high school level, but he's a guy that has the tools necessary, um, and it's up to the coaches to kind of mold those tools to turn him into a linebacker.
2: All right, so let's stick with, with with you, Don, for the cornerback and safety spots, defensive back in general. UNC got three guys, Giovanni Biggers, Storm Duck, and then Obi Egbuna. Out of those three, I know that the staff was very big on Egbuna, so let's start with him. And he had that prior relationship with Dre Bly. So what, do you, what type of player are the Tar Heels getting in Obi, and what are his characteristics that, that led to, to Dre just being such a big-time proponent of his and really pushing for him to get that UNC scholarship offer? Well,
0: I think egbona is, is a guy that's, you know, he's a, he's a cover corner, and he's a guy that you can stick on the opponent's best receiver and, and you know, basically know that he's going to be taken care of. Um, as far as what Dre saw in, in Obi, I believe, and, you know, I haven't spoken to Dre Bly about this, but I believe that, uh, Dre saw a little bit of himself in Obi. you know, an undersized kid who has great, great coverage skills, but, um, now Dre wasn't overlooked, but I'm sure for a lot of his career growing up and even, even in the NFL, he was, you know, because, you know, he's not the tallest guy. He's not a big, tall corner at all. I'm, I'm sure, you know, some people kind of, um, didn't give him the benefit of the doubt. He had to always prove himself. And I think, that is what Obi is dealing with. I mean, if you look at the situation, he was committed to Richmond for what was it, six months before North Carolina, the first FBS school, kind of came knocking. Actually, Army did uh, uh, did offer him, but um, but first Power Five school it was, it was North Carolina, and and really North Carolina didn't come through with an offer until he officially visited the school on the very last weekend. Prior to signing day, and UNC didn't even offer him until the last moment of that official visit, so there's definitely that chip on the shoulder he's an undersized guy, but he has the ball skills and and the the coverage ability
2: and then you know Buck, you have seen Tommy thickpin and the rest of the of these defensive coaches you know on that side of the ball, probably way more than most people listening to this podcast, certainly more 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 than myself in that that secondary. What do you think Mac Brown is going to really have his guys do there? Is it going to be that kind of bump and run coverage that was all the rage? Do you think it's going to be more zone or just some, you know, do you think that that Jay Bateman is just going to come up with something that's going to really fit what their opponent is going to be doing? And it could be something that just changes week to week.
1: Well, I would go with the, the week to week theory. Um, as far as game planning, and, you know, there's some literature out there on the internet if you want to look around for it. But uh, when it comes to uh, Jay Bateman, he his game preparation process is just different than from other people. And he's going to game plan for every single opponent. Probably my guess is he's going to do also what his players do best. Now when when Mac Brown was here before uh, Mac Brown 1.0 he did you know very famously um uh, tell Carl Torbush that either Torbush was going to have to play a much more aggressive defense this is after the the Sun Bowl um in 94 that he either Torbush had to to develop a much more aggressive scheme which would probably involve putting his corners on an island or Torbush was going to have to look for another job. And it was after that, they they, had, they didn't have a great season in 95, but in 96, the uh, demands that Brown had for a very aggressive defense paid dividends. In 96 and 97, UNC had one of the best defenses in the nation both years. And uh, back to the conversation about Dre Bly and Obi. Dre Bly wasn't necessarily overlooked in terms of recruiting services, but there was a cornerback uh, that was brought in, in the, on the same in the same class as Dre Bly, named Robert Williams. And, and Robert Williams was a much more highly touted guy. Uh, Dre Bly probably felt like he lived in his shadow a little bit. They redshirted shirted Dre Bly and Robert Williams played as a true freshman. I think he started the last six games of his freshman year. And uh, after the Gator Bowl in 97, Robert Williams uh, turned pro or, and Dre Bly was back with the, with the team. So, I mean, there might be a little bit of uh, something in that in terms of Dre Bly's uh, underdog mentality a little bit, and because of you know, essentially he was not the highest ranked. Rank, it's hard to believe that a pro bowler um, was uh, not the highest ranked cornerback in that class that Mac Brown brought in. But anyway, I just thought like. That's an anecdote I would throw in in terms of maybe shedding some inla- insight into uh, Dre Bly's mentality when it comes to Obi.
2: And then let's turn back to Storm Duck and Giovanni Biggers, Don. You know, Giovanni was someone that uh, we interviewed. He comes across as a very, very smart kid. And I'm actually really, um, I'm really looking forward to what he can do at that safety spot. Storm Duck, all-time name team Right there, just automatically love that 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 kid and what he can bring. Talk to us about those two players and just you know what Carolina fans can expect to see from them once they hit the field for the heels. Well, Bigger's is a guy that that loves to hit,
0: just absolutely loves to hit, um, loves to contribute and run support. Um, we, we talked about before how right now he he's a little undersized to consistently do that in college, and he will benefit tremendously from bulking up, which obviously a uh, strength and conditioning program at North Carolina will help him with. Uh, Storm Duck, besides having a great name, is, is really one of the few guys who can play any position in the secondary. And so um, I'm really interested to see what ends up happening and if you know how many different positions he ends up playing for North Carolina. Um, I, I'm assuming eventually he'll settle at, at one position. Um, but, uh, I mean, he's a guy who could legitimately play corner because he has the, the physicality but yet the speed to do so um and you know he's he's a smart kid great vision um definitely enjoys hitting so you know safety is going to be a good position for him has the range so he could play a play a free safety uh could definitely play a nickel if if that's what's uh what's needed um so i mean he's he's a guy that just i maybe not
2: uh versatility i think flexibility he brings to your defense because he could play so much all right. Let's turn now to the specialist spot. Don's favorite guys on the entire football <laughs> field. And let's go ahead and start with your I would call it your 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 crush in this class, Don. Drew Little, but it is for very good reason. Drew is absolutely elite at his position. And it's one of those things that a lot of people, you know, they don't think uh he's, you know, he's just a long snapper. What what is that really going to matter? but it can swing football games. What are the Tar Heels getting in Drew? And just, just what kind of guy is he overall? I mean, the the thing with Drew is, is
0: he's a guy who I believe this is going to be the last time that we're talking about him because uh, for the next four years, he's going to snap for North Carolina and there's not going to be any sort of issues whatsoever. He's going to do his job. No one's going to know about it. And we might go back and say, hey, how did Drew Little end up playing during his career? And, you know, we can look back and see there, there was no issues with the snaps. Um, but the thing that impresses me most about him is he's a kid who wanted to play for North Carolina so bad. Him and his, his parents knew, you know, given his uh, genetics and, um, you know, just how he was developing. The odds of him playing a linebacker, which is what he plays in high school and was a conference, uh, conference defensive player year at the position or any other position, were very, 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 very unlikely. So what did they do? They found the position of long snapper and just worked his butt off for a very, very, very long time. And, um, I mean, I I've learned so much about the long snapper position in the past two years of covering him. It's, it's just amazing. Just how much of a science it really is and how much it really is kind of almost like a pitcher with, you know, resting your arm and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, he's a he, I think he's a guy who's, he's going to work his butt off. You don't have to worry about him um, you know, not doing what he's supposed to do. Um, but again, I mean, he's a guy that we're probably not going to hear about for the next 4 years.
2: Well, and that and like you said, that's actually going to be a a good thing. You know, buck, about that that long that long snapper position. How many games have you seen that have been decided by just a, a bad snap and you know, especially if the conditions are bad. And it turns out that you know maybe there actually is a lot of truth in, in the sense that you want to have those specialist guys on actual scholarship where they can just hone their craft and be really, really good at it.
1: I haven't looked at it in a while, but I'm fairly confident that virtually every NFL team has a deep snapper on their roster you know, one of those 55 spots or however many there are, I think it's 55, 53, 53 goes to a long snapper. And, you know, there are people that make their living doing that at, you know, the NFL uh, professional level. So that tells you right there, how important it is. If, you know, it doesn't matter how good your punter or your field goal specialist is, if you can't get the ball back to them, You're you're done. So that that's why the NFL you know pays those guys to be you know, and and that's virtually all they do. It's not just an offensive lineman this or you know the center snapping the ball. In most cases, I think it's a designated deep snapper. So you know I think that speaks to how important it is. And you know if you've got somebody who never gets his number called or never gets the spotlight on him for four years while he's there, that's a win. And, and just like Don said, nobody will ever know his name because unless, you know, in that spot, unless you mess up, nobody's ever going to hear your name. And then let's talk about Ben Kiernan, the
2: other specialist, the punter. This kid has one of the just, you know, granted, I don't watch a whole lot of specialist stuff, but his leg has got to be up there in terms of just being able to absolutely boom punts. Don, what is, is is that kind of just the, I mean, obviously it's the, the most important thing for Ben given that, that he's a punter, but just talk to us about what you saw from his film and how he compares to other guys who you have seen in that, that punter role coming in from high school in the past. Well, I mean, I think the thing
0: that, that separates him from other guys I've seen is just not only does he have a strong leg, cause there's a lot of guys that end up having strong legs, but he's a guy that. Is also very um, can be accurate when when needed, you know. So he has the ability to flip the field when your team is backed up pretty far. But he also, when you're you know at midfield ish and you need to pin your opponent deep into their own zone, I mean he's a guy that has been proven to have the accuracy that to, to hit those those corner kicks. Um, you know, we talked about. You know, I, I think a, a few weeks ago, a few podcasts ago, about you know about just his numbers. I mean, he averaged forty five point eight yards per punt, which is which is tremendous for for a high school kid, especially when you consider the fact that he placed twenty three of his thirty nine punts inside the twenty. So you gotta you gotta think that some of those punts might not have been um, you know power punts. They were more of trying to, you know, maybe maybe like a 30 something yard or maybe even, you know, less than that yard punt where he's just trying to pin the opponent you know inside the 10 inside the 5. And and so that obviously goes against his uh his punting average um but uh but still he was able to maintain a punting average of over 45 yards per per attempt. Um the other thing too and we've talked about this is just he's super competitive, unbelievably competitive. Just talking to him, especially when you're talking to him about uh, other punters, um, he doesn't want to hear anything about how good someone else is or how or if they're better than him. Uh, he feels like he's truly the best punter. I know it's very strange to think about that when you're talking about a, a punter or a kicker or a long snapper, but uh, he definitely has that mentality. And I think some of that is his background is in rugby. Um, you know, he's He was born – in um Dublin Ireland which is actually where he signed his letter of intent the other day um so I think it's a little bit different of a um upbringing than than some of the other punters in in,
2: in the United States. Well, I always remember that uh the punter for LSU who was from Australia and you know he had that big national highlight where he just completely wiped out a kid on a punt return. Do you see possibly Ben as having eh, that that kind of streak in him? on where he's not gonna be afraid where if, if a return is coming right at him he's actually gonna try to lay the, the lumber and just take that guy out. You know, I don't know because he isn't the biggest kid. He's listed as six
0: foot, two hundred and five pounds. Uh so uh he's probably he'd be giving up a lot of um a lot of size to whoever's coming down the field. <laughs> um but I don't think he's a guy who's going to just kind of jump at someone's ankles to, to tackle him. I
2: think he's going to take him on if 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 that's what he needs to do. All right. Gotcha. Well, hey, let's take one last commercial break. And when we get back, let's uh, go ahead and start looking forward to the February signing day, because like we alluded to back in the very beginning of this podcast, there are still some names available for the heels. So let's talk about that in just a minute. We'll be right back. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast going to go ahead and wrap up the discussion about recruiting and last Wednesday's national signing day. So Don, looking ahead to 20 to the uh to the 2019 signing day in in February, the last chance for kids for this class to commit to schools. I mentioned a defensive back who I think is still very much possibly in the running for the Heels, and that is Harris. Um He is the four-star guy who is co- currently committed to Tennessee. His name has been popping up a lot. He did not sign with, with Tennessee during the, this open window. You know, do you think that he is a serious target by the Tar Heels staff at this time? From everything I've heard, that. UNC definitely
0: plans on recruiting Harris um, after the, after the holidays for sure. I, as of, I guess last week when I was at the Shrine Ball with, with Harris and talking to his coaches, they hadn't heard. Well, for, for Harris's purposes, they hadn't heard from UNC since uh, Mike Eckler was an assistant coach. So um, as of last week, the, the wheels haven't gone in motion. I don't know why that is. Maybe they, because they knew that Harris was going to wait until February to sign, and they wanted to, I guess, use their resources on guys who were looking to sign in uh, in December. But um, I know that Harris is definitely will be listening. I don't know if that necessarily means it will result in yet another flip by North Carolina, but I know that he's listening. I know that um, he um, is open to taking official visits to, to schools other than Tennessee, the school he's been – committed to for, I don't know, I guess uh, it was since June. So however, it was six months now, I guess. Um, but uh, so he's open to taking other official visits. So there's
2: definitely, that's definitely something to, to monitor for sure. All right. And then really from looking at the re- recruiting board, Don, there's only a couple of spots where you still have guys listed that have not committed and could still be on the radar, most particularly at defensive line and linebacker. Give us some names of some players at those positions, and just really anywhere else that you think UNC fans should be keeping a close eye on on the Inside Carolina message board to see if there are some updates on some guys.
0: Well, the guys that I would definitely watch for sure, Raymond Vohsick. We've talked about he officially visited North Carolina the weekend of the NC State game. He was the one who infamously was uh, you know spent the entire weekend with with the coaches and had no idea that Coach Fedora was going to be fired until. He actually got to the airport and had an opportunity to kind of look at his phone, and then he found out that the that the coach that he literally just said goodbye to um, had been fired, which is uh, such a weird and interesting situation. But um, he's a JUCO guy, but he's a he's a unique JUCO guy, and the fact that he has three years of eligibility remaining, most JUCOs only have the two, um, but he will be able to provide UNC with um, you know immediate. uh experience at defensive line and that's something that the prior staff was definitely valuing because they were actually looking at a bunch of different jucos and it seems like the 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 current staff is also trying to do the same thing because they've they've kept in contact and actually have sent a couple of coaches up to chicago to see him so um i expect north carolina to definitely get more involved with or or yeah i, I expect us to kind of see a lot more going with him um other than that, you know, Octavius Brothers is a guy that that UNC really 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 likes and they were hoping that he would uh sign in December, but he decided that uh his um stock was so high that, you know, I think he even received a scholarship offer I think it was from Miami on Wednesday. Um that you know, because he was constantly getting new options and he wasn't I guess set on one school in particular, he wanted to take more of his time and and um explore all of his options fully. Uh, i I don't think that that bodes well for North carolina because obviously the more options a kid has the the uh less of a chance that he ends up at north carolina but u n c does have a history of recruiting his school uh they landed antoine green a four star wide receiver who played a bunch for North carolina this season before um suffering an injury um octavius and green and green aren't super close but they um they know each other pretty well to the point where they're, they exchange text messages throughout the season. So that's that's another situation to monitor. Um, and I, I also expect the um, the pool of targets to expand, uh, just because there's there's other positions that the, the staff wants to address, but just doesn't have the um, the targets at this point. But you know, they'll get onto. It. I'm sure they'll take a break for for Christmas and then and get back into the uh, the office and start to kind of. Lay out what they want to do, who they want to see, and everything like that. And I believe the dead period ends. I think it's January tenth, and and so I'm I'm sure they'll be on the road, you know, looking at some new guys and expanding
2: that that board. All right. So then, Buck, let's go back to you. I know Don and I have been
1: talking for a while. Sorry about Buck that. Buck is probably Connor.
2: sleeping. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's see. Is no, no, I'm not asleep. I was just hanging on Don's every word, listening to his dulcet tones, being charmed <laughs> by that the well, knowledge that he was dropping
2: on me. I mean, look, honestly, Don could go on, I'm sure for hours on these guys just with how much film he watches. It it truly is a testament. I mean, this is but, a this has been a big Don Buck kissing event. Well, I mean, you know, you got to got to give props when props are due, man. But uh Buck, my, my my question to you was watching the Mac Brown you know, signing day event over there in in the football offices, he actually went through and listed every single player name by name. And he even said himself that he does not feel that his staff are nearly done with this class. So watching that, just what, what was your feeling about Mac and moving forward? Just, you know, did he continue that that trend of positivity that we have seen from him since day one, really?
1: Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, anybody that uh, both of uh, – there's two segments of video up on Inside Carolina of, of the entire press conference. And, you know, if, if you watch those uh, those two video clips, one of them he's just talking about each individual player. Uh, the next one, he's taking uh, questions from the audience, the media that's there. Uh, and the, the, except for the fact that he's older, grayer, heavier, like all of us get um, in in our old age, so to speak, um, he's the same Mac Brown we saw in the 90s here at UNC. He has that ability to charm a crowd. He has the ability to uh, you know, be very knowledgeable. He's gonna, you know, hit all the bullet points when he's talking about a player, he's going to point out his attributes. He's going to know where he's from. He's going to know, you know, his favorite movie, what he likes to have for dinner. He's just, um, very thorough and detailed when he, uh, talks about, you know, any particular player or, you know, and most other subjects. So uh, that, that's part of why he's such a persuasive person is because he has such detailed knowledge when he talks about something is something that he knows something about. So, um, you know, even if listening to Greg Barnes on the previous podcast, um, you know, covering the you know, signing day press conference, you could tell there was a little excitement creeping into Greg Barnes's voice. And that doesn't happen very often. You know, uh, Greg is a very even keel guy. You know, he's not going to get really, you know, uh, extremely high or extremely low when he's talking about anything. But you could tell he was getting a little bit of uh, excitement in his voice, Um, which, you know, most uh, people that observe or follow or cover UNC sports and uh, UNC football fans, they could use a little bit of excitement these days. So that's a good thing. (laughs) Um, yes. Yeah. Was that, was that it, Buck? Or because uh, if so, did he fall I, asleep? I, he fell asleep. No, didn't- no, 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 no. I'm still awake. Uh, <laughs> but the thing that I was going to mention is that, um, one of the things that Matt kept saying, um, you know, during the, the press conference when he was asked about positions, he mentioned corner several times. And so far as I can see, North Carolina's not involved with any corners uh, that I'm aware of anywhere. So that goes back to the point of there's going to be some new names popping up on the radar. Um, I think that there's going to be, and even when under Larry Fedora, you get closer to signing day, a lot of times they would try to wrap up everything long before and they, they did a year or two, I think, but, Typically, some name that just came comes out of left field is going to show up on uh, North Carolina's radar, and I kind of expect that to happen a great deal for this signing day. Now, I think they only got like six spots left they can sign, uh, but you know, I, I expect to see some names you know show up on the radar that have previously not been associated with uh, North Carolina. Lonnie Galloway is known as a, a very active recruiter in the state of North Carolina and elsewhere. It wouldn't surprise me for him to have contact with somebody that didn't sign in, in December that might be looking for a home. Um, and so I, I expect to, to hear some new names for these last remaining six spots. Uh, you know, Don mentioned a couple of names, but outside of that, um, we, we don't really know. And we'll be waiting to find out who they have on their radar and what their odds are with them. So stay tuned. Uh, There's going to be more to come on the recruiting front for this class. Oh,
2: absolutely. Don, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up with getting your overall thoughts on how Coach Brown did signing what ended up being a top 30 or top 40 class. I think last time it was 37. I think it got as high as 34 at one point, and then some other schools got, got some kids that, that pushed UNC down a little bit. But considering that the class was in the 80s a few short weeks ago, how good of a job did Coach Brown do overall, getting some flips, signing the these kids, and really making the best out of what was a bleak situation when he first took the job?
0: Well, um, just to answer your question that, uh, North Carolina is ranked 39 right now, but, okay. um, yeah, so I mean, you have to be impressed considering where they started with and considering the limited time they had to, um, to recruit guys, you know, they had basically three weeks to, uh, to land guys. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you have to be impressed by, by some of the moves that were made considering the circumstances. You can't, you can't look at it any other way, but, um, in a a positive way, because really it was going to be impossible for him to put this into like a top 25 class, just, just based off of where they were at when, when he became head coach, but um, to move it all the way up into the thirties is, is
2: even if it's temporary um, is still impressive. And then, Buck, go ahead and take us home by giving us your thoughts on Mac Brown and his ability to still sell ice to an Eskimo even in the modern era, do you think that this class kind of is going to quiet the doubters that we're still unsure if Mac would be able to relate to the, the, the kind of the, the new generation of players that you see in college football?
1: Well, you know, coming down the stretch, you, you think about sort of the high, uh, headline issues, I mean, headline topics uh, involved with Mac Brown uh, down the stretch. You know, they, they flipped Emory Simmons. They signed Tamari Fox, Um, they flipped Tristan Miller, and they flipped Sam Howell. And you put all those together. That's a pretty impressive finish. And that those aren't the only players they got down the stretch. But in in each of those cases, you know they had to fight off some really uh, solid competition for those guys and. Uh, you know, in in one case they flipped them from uh you know an in state rival, another case they flipped it from Florida State. Uh, so very interesting that uh those things, those four guys, I would say, are a strong indication that when it comes to recruiting, Mac Brown's still Mac Brown. Uh, he he's might look a little different and, uh, has a lot more experience, which in some cases might actually be, uh, a talking point, a good point rather than, Oh, he's 67, but, um, he still got it in terms of, uh, you know, being a, a good closer, someone who can identify players that, you know, can be helpful to a football team and persuade them and their families that they're, he's going to bring them to North Carolina and take care of them. And, um, he, he has that ability. So I, that's a strong indication. I think there'll be uh, some surprises as we head into the February signing date. And I would expect the 2020 class, which I think Don in North Carolina is a pretty good uh, class. Uh, I, I expect that to be a very good year for, for UNC football recruiting. And I look forward to following it, you know, with Don and the rest of uh, you know, the inside Carolina staff and everybody else.
2: So with, with Don Callahan leading the way inside Carolina, we'll continue to have the best football recruiting news for Tar Heels. Here we go. We're not anywhere. done with kissing Don's no, blood. No, not, right done, over not done. Had to get <laughs> a couple more in. Well, I'm going to go ahead and let this one go. But, you know, Buck, Don, I know that, that you guys just have that affinity for each other. So I'm going to let you guys say your goodbyes first before I officially end this.
1: Well, you know, I'd rather do it in person be honest with you i I get too mushy you know
2: (laughs) buck's gonna come over for christmas day yeah there there you go i was gonna say yeah what's the uh is buck gonna have his own present under the tree don buck is gonna be the present underneath the tree (laughs) even better we'll go ahead and wrap this one up then buck don thank you guys as always thanks john thanks buck
1: yeah thanks don thanks john good night john boy Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike's Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.